This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. Were you ready to study God's Word together this morning? And turning your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, the New Testament book of Philippians chapter 3. If you're tuning in with us via live stream today, I want to encourage you to go to the description of today's video and download a listening guide that will help you follow along with us as we make our way through the text this morning. When chapter 3 of Philippians in verses 1 through 11, what Paul does is he, he really chronicles his testimony. He does this by putting forth his spiritual resume before coming to faith in Jesus. And through his remarks in Philippians chapter 3, it's very clear that few people could have matched Paul's religious credentials. But after believing Jesus' gospel, he says that he considers all of that rubbish in comparison to knowing Jesus through the power of the gospel. In fact, he now says that knowing Jesus and being like Jesus is the ultimate aim, the ultimate goal of his life. So I want you to pick up with me in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, as he continues that train of thought. He says, Not that I've already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do... Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Now in verse 15, Paul said, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And so that's this morning's question, really. What does it look like to be a mature Christian? So if you and I, after our service this morning, were to go to eat lunch and we sat across the table from each other and I asked you that question, so are you a mature Christian, what would be your response? Or if I were to ask you, what are the distinguishing marks of mature faith, how might you respond? Well, for some of us, we might begin to list a set of spiritual disciplines we observe or religious works that we perform. Perhaps you would think about 
how much you read the Bible or how long you pray or how many times a month you might come to church. For others, perhaps it's the leadership position that you hold in the church. Or perhaps on the flip side, perhaps you don't even consider yourself a mature Christian because you don't hold a leadership position in the church. And still more of us might begin by counting the number of years we've been a Christian or the number of books we've read. You see, the reality is any one of us might have varying barometers by which we might measure our Christian maturity. And sure, time certainly can be a factor and spiritual disciplines most definitely play a part, but it is quite possible this morning to be a Christian for decades and still not be a mature one. You might practice spiritual disciplines in a way that would make Billy Graham blush. But those disciplines simply by themselves, they'll just simply puff you up rather than build you up. And you might come to church as much or even more as the Pope himself. But still altogether miss what it actually means to be a part of the family of God. And then on the flip side, it is realistically possible this morning to never have ever held a leadership position in the church and actually be more mature than even the preacher who's here before you this morning. You see, pursuing disciplines and spiritual works and serving in leadership without a mature mindset will only make you an experienced Christian, not a mature one. My goal this morning through the text of Scripture we're going to look at is not to show you how to be an experienced Christian. I want to show you through the Scriptures a few marks of a mature Christian. Christ follower. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Through these paragraphs of Paul, we're going to look at six keys to help us grow in Christian maturity this year. And what you're going to find out is these are much more dispositional in nature. They're much more in mindset form than they are practices. And this is crucial for us as we follow Jesus. Maturity starts in the mind and the heart and works its way outward. It's not measured simply by externals. It's also measured by our thought processes and what we think. And so here we go. Six keys to help us grow in Christian maturity. Number one, in humility, Paul shows us this. In humility, acknowledge you're not there yet. Acknowledge you're not there yet. Okay, so not where? Well, knowing Jesus. Remember, that's the goal. That's what he says in verse 10. He says all of that about his Christian testimony. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul gives the goal of the Christian life. It's not simply to be an experienced Christian. No, the goal of the Christian life is to know Jesus and to be like Jesus. Two different times in this paragraph, Paul uses a negative to clear up any misconceptions the Philippian believers might have had about his faith. In verse 12, he says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. 
Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. You see, there were false teachers in Philippi who were circling around teaching the Philippian believers a perfectionistic view of spirituality. Namely, that one could somehow achieve perfection on earth. But that wasn't Paul's view. Paul was humble enough to recognize that it was Jesus who had brought him this far, not himself. Paul knew that it would be Jesus who would then bring him the rest of the way there. Paul had been humbled by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, a mature faith boasts not in what you have accomplished. A mature faith boasts in how much Jesus has accomplished on your behalf. A mature faith doesn't marvel over how much you already know. A mature faith recognizes how much you've yet to learn. A mature faith doesn't boast in how far you've come in the faith already. A mature faith is humbled by how far you still have left to go. Many of you know that one of my dearest friends and mentors is Dr. Chuck Lawless. Chuck is a professor and dean at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, where I'm pursuing my doctoral work, and many of our team members here are working on their seminary degrees. Chuck has 30, over 30 years of experience in the ministry, and he has taught at the doctoral level for more than two decades. And widely speaking, in the American church, Chuck is considered an expert in evangelism, church growth, and missions. He has spent a lifetime mentoring young men who are serving literally around the globe. But I'll never forget the time when he and I were both speaking at a conference together. And Chuck had his seminars he was teaching, and I had my seminars that I taught. And Chuck was on a break, and he and I were talking, and it was time for me to go in to teach my seminar, and he was right behind me. And I looked at him because I just assumed that he would want a break. And so I looked at him, and I said, are you coming to my seminar? And he said, yeah, I, I want to be taught by you. I want to learn from you. I want to learn and hear what you have to say. Brothers and sisters, that's a mature faith. Chuck knows he's not there yet. He knows that even as much as he does know that there's still so much more he has to learn. And he's not beneath learning from someone who has inferior credentials or who is years his junior. You see, when, you're not, when you know that you're not there yet, the implications go far beyond your own faith. It actually affects how you approach others too. You're more patient with other people because you know that you yourself need patience from them. You're less smug because you know that there's a whole lot that you don't yet know. And you'll constantly look for evidences of God's grace in other people's lives because you yourself know that you would be nothing were it not for God's grace working in your life. So if you want to begin growing a mature faith in Jesus this year, 
begin by humbly acknowledging you're not there yet. Number two, through perseverance, grow in knowing Jesus more and more. Three times in this paragraph, Paul stresses the idea of pressing on or straining forward to what lies ahead. You see it in verse 12. He says, but I press on to make it my own. In verse 13, he says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. In verse 14, he says, I press on toward the goal. One of the reasons I love this passage is because of the sports analogy. I love sports, just like a lot of you out there love sports. Therefore, I love ESPN, the Every Sport Possible Network. Did you know that's what the acrostic meant? And we don't want to talk about my affinity for MLB Network come April. I believe that if cable were available, Paul would have liked those channels too. And the reason is because he's really big on using athletic imagery to describe Christian discipleship. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, in verses 24 through 27, here are some highlights. Therefore, since we are, sorry, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. So I do not run aimlessly, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. The writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. All of this language both in Philippians as well as in other parts of the New Testament, shows us that the Christian faith involves what we might call a persevering passion. It's the pursuit. And sure, none of us has arrived. None of us is there in perfection yet. But that doesn't mean that we just sit idly by waiting for Jesus to take us up to a cloud somewhere. No, Paul shows us a passion, a consuming passion, a discipline, a self-control, a persevering lifelong pursuit to know Jesus more deeply so that we might look like Jesus more clearly. And this is where the spiritual disciplines come in. This is why we read the Bible in our own lives, even outside of Sunday morning. This is why we memorize the scriptures. This is why we pray, why we serve others, why we're generous with our resources, with our money, with our time. This is why we commit ourselves to the local church to pursue the disciplines together with other maturing believers. Yes, the Christian life involves much effort and much regimented discipline, but we have to know the why. Brothers and sisters, it is crucial this morning that we understand the why. 
We don't persevere in disciplines to simply be more religious. We don't pursue discipline just because it's the Christian thing to do. There is an end to which all of this points. We persevere in the disciplines in order to know Jesus more and more. And here's an important warning to us all. If knowing Jesus isn't the goal of your spiritual disciplines, then you're simply working to become a very experienced religious person. But don't forget that earlier in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul said that he was a really experienced religious person, even arguably the most experienced religious person of his day. But when he met Jesus face to face and he encountered the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul considered all of it rubbish. It literally in the original language means animal dung and even a graphic word for it. Let that edify your walk this morning. He says it's all dung compared to the pursuit of Jesus Christ through a persevering passion to know him more intimately. As you embark upon 2021, it's a very good goal to have to say, I really want to mature my faith this year. That's a good goal. It's a good heartbeat to to have beating in your heart. But I want to guard you from I want, you to, I want to guard you from overwhelming yourself. I'm not trying to say, I'm just trying to find some minimal input, but I fear that sometimes we have these grand goals that we're going to become a missionary like William Carey or an evangelist like Billy Graham, and we're going to do it all in the first quarter of 2021. And things go really great for the first week or for the first couple of weeks, and things might start fizzle and we get really discouraged And we start shrinking back in such despair. And we even convince ourselves that it's not worth it. We'll never get there. And it might not be that you'll, you'll never really get there. It might just be that we're setting expectations and we're just setting ourselves up for failure from the outset. So what if instead you start looking at your life right now and start identifying What are a handful of key changes I could institute in my life right now to start pushing me more towards maturity in Jesus? Maybe it's simply waking up 30 minutes earlier, five days a week to have a devotional quiet time with Jesus. It could be that there's simply a few alterations you need to make in your budget so that you might give more sacrificially towards the church. It could be that you just simply identify a couple of hours in your schedule every week where you could read a Christian book together with a group of brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe it's you and your family could sit down and talk or you and your roommate could sit down and talk and identify one night per month, one evening a month when you could invite someone or a couple of people into your homes to practice Christian hospitality for the purposes of evangelism. You see, Christian maturity happens in our lives 
by the simple steps of faith on a day-by-day basis in the midst of the mundane. We've got to break ourselves from some exuberant, ecstatic experience that we're hoping for overnight. God works on his people with a chisel and it's over the course of a lifetime, not over the course of a quarter or a month. And so rather than attempting to become a Christian Olympian in a few months, perhaps a better approach would be to simply start with some spiritual push-ups and then allow Jesus to grow you from there But regardless of what changes you need to start making, I want to encourage you to at least start identifying some changes where Jesus may push you towards maturity more and more this year. Okay, number three. A third mark of Christian maturity we see here, and this is really more of a mindset. In confidence, stop dwelling on the past. In confidence, stop dwelling on the past. Now look back at the text in verse 13. He says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Now we just spent time talking about that straining toward what lies ahead. Now let's think about not looking back. Now you and I all have pasts. We have past years past decades, past months. We even have yesterdays. We even have past this mornings, right? We all have pasts. And in our past, we have two things. You can write here in your notes. We have past victories and we have past defeats. We have past victories and we have past defeats. Both can debilitate you in maturing your faith. Few can debilitate you in maturing your faith. Let's think about the past defeats. We all have past defeats. We have pain from our past. And that can easily entangle us as we seek to run our race with Jesus. Whether it's things that we have shamefully done or things that others have painfully done to us, these past defeats can easily thwart future victory. The inverse is also true. Past victories can also entangle us. And that might surprise us. But we might easily just simply reminisce over some past spiritual mountaintop we achieved. Some spiritual peak of faithfulness. And we're simply longing for that day to return. But know this. God's not seeking to empower you today to pursue a past faithfulness. He's empowering you today to faithfulness today. He calls you to faithfulness in your life today and for tomorrow. Know this this morning, Christian, about your past. There is no amount of dysfunction, defeat, or regret in your past that guarantees it for the future. And there is also no amount of blessing, success, or victory in your past that guarantees it for the future either. You see, in the Christian life, each day is a new day. Every day presents a new beginning. 
And so to quote our favorite reclusive snow queen, Queen Elsa, I'm never going back. The past is in the past. And we can all can sing together now, right? No, we won't. This is good stuff. O'Brien in his commentary on Philippians gives a great word about Paul here. He says, Paul will not allow either the achievements of the past, which God had wrought, or for that matter, his failures as a Christian to prevent his gaze from being fixed firmly on the finish line. In this sense, I love this, Paul forgets as he runs. He forgets as he runs. Several of you out there might be runners. I know that I love to run for exercise, and any runner who runs knows that when you're running, particularly on the side of the road, you've got to look ahead. You've got to keep looking ahead. You can't constantly be looking behind you while you're running because if you do, you'll trip. If you do, you might run into something or someone. You'll drift. You'll either drift into the road or you may drift off the side into the brush. You see, as Christ followers, we have to look ahead too. We can't run the race towards Jesus while constantly looking over our shoulder at the regrets or the victories of the past. Well, perhaps we can do it, but Christian maturity is not going to come that way. A mature faith stops dwelling on the past and starts looking forward. Mature faith looks forward, strains forward, presses on toward the goal of knowing Jesus more and more. So brother and sister in Christ, this morning, stop dwelling on the past if you want to be a mature Christ follower. Okay, number four, as a reminder, preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself as a reminder. Now this is staggering. Look at verse 12 again. Now Paul is pressing on towards knowing Jesus, but in verse 12, the last part he says, I do this because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And then you look at verse 16. He says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Here's what's remarkable. Why do we keep pressing on? Why are we supposed to be disciplined? Why do we make every effort? Is it in order to achieve salvation? Is it so we might earn our way to God? Not according to Paul. Because did you see what he said twice there? in verse, Once in verse 12 and once in verse 16. He says that we press on and we make every effort because we've already received it. We've already attained salvation. The straining and the pressing are actually evidences that we've already received Jesus. And so to paraphrase John Piper, we race to obtain Jesus because Jesus has already obtained us. And we press on out of the power that comes from being in him.
I love how Paul reminds himself of this here. And honestly, you and I have to remind ourselves of this as well and often. Here's why. How many times have you failed to obey Jesus? How many times have you failed to obey Jesus and you've done something that you regret and it's something that you're really ashamed of? You've confessed a sin for the 100th time and you feel the guilt and you feel the shame and you feel the defeat and it just weighs down on you, doesn't it? And in those moments, you're tempted to think, I'm not a real Christian because a real Christian wouldn't struggle with what I'm struggling with or as often as I do. Everybody else at church seems to get this right, but I can't seem to get it right. I'll never make it. I'll never mature. Or we might even be tempted to bargain with God and we might say, I just need to try harder and harder and Jesus, maybe you'll accept me this time. No, no, no. That's not the gospel. That is not biblical Christianity. It's not the gospel and it's not mature thinking. The gospel has already said that you're not good enough. Amen? Is the whole need for the gospel. But Jesus is good enough. Oh, and those other Christians you've convinced yourself who always get it right, well, they don't really exist. Because we get a lot of things wrong too. Struggling in the faith or stumbling in the race are not automatic signs that you're not maturing in the faith. If you've tuned out, it would be a great time to tune back in. A mature Christian is not a Christian who never fails. A mature Christian is one who knows where he stands in Christ even when he does fail. That's worth repeating this morning. A mature Christian is not a Christian who never fails. A mature Christian is one who knows where he stands in Christ even when he does fail. That is mature thinking. That is mature faith. How to preach the gospel to yourself. Believers are saved through repentance and faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We get that. The gospel saves us from our sin. But here's the part that we often miss. It is also that same gospel that saves us from our sin is the same gospel that sustains us in the midst of our sin after we come to Jesus. Too many Christians see the gospel as the ABCs of Christianity rather than to the rather than the A to Z of Christianity that Tim Keller points us towards. So as you mature in Jesus, 
I want to implore you, learn how to preach the gospel to yourself and do it often. Father, I know I disobeyed you yesterday, but thank God that Jesus perfectly obeyed you on my behalf. Father, I'm so weak in my thoughts and in my heart, but thank God that Jesus is strong in my stead. Father, I know that I'm so impatient, but thank God that you're always perfectly patient with me. And Father, I know I really blew it last night. And I'm so tempted to perform for you now to somehow try and pay you back some penance. But you've told me in your word that you don't delight in sacrifices, but instead you delight in a broken and contrite heart. How could I ever pay you back when I could never add to what Jesus has already paid on my behalf? That's preaching the gospel to yourself. And we've got to do that over and over and over again. And when we get tired of doing it, we do it one more time. Brothers and sisters, a mature Christian is not a Christian who never fails. A mature Christian is one who knows where he stands in Jesus, even when he does. And it's because of the gospel. So never stop preaching the gospel to yourself. Number five, through imitation, follow the example of faithful Christians. Here's another mark, another key to maturing your faith. Through imitation, follow the example of faithful Christians. Now in verse 17 through 19, Paul talks about godly examples to follow and ungodly examples not to follow. And in verse 17, he says it this way. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Imitation is a favorite theme throughout Paul's writings. And particularly here in Philippians. It's a foundational discipleship principle in the New Testament that was inaugurated by Jesus himself. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time here. Because you hear this from me so much. Here at Mill City. But here it is. You were not meant to mature as a Christian alone. God did not design Christian maturity to be found in isolation simply by yourself. He designed maturity in Christian discipleship to be fostered in the midst of Christian community. And one of the key ways we look more like Jesus and learn to know what it means to look more like Jesus is by following the examples of other Christians who are also faithfully following Jesus. It's one of my, this point reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from Chuck Lawless because you see the reality is this imitation is two-way street. I'm seeking to follow other people's example while I'm also being an example that other people might be able to follow. And so I love the way Chuck puts it. If others were to follow in my shoes, would they also be walking in the sandals of Jesus? Isn't that good? If other people were to walk in my shoes, would they also be walking in the sandals of Jesus? I think about some of our favorite stories from literature 
We read the book and page after page, we envision the action and the events in our minds. But then we rejoice when our favorite books become movies, right? Because on the screen, I visually see in live action what I had only conceptualized in my mind. Now, granted, we usually say that the book is better than the movie because few screenplays perfectly capture the author's original intent. But we still rejoice over the picture, don't we? When it comes to the Christian walk, God has given us both the book and the movie. We read his commands perfectly codified in the scriptures, and oftentimes we struggle to imagine what it ultimately looks out, looks like concretely lived out. But then he gives us the movie too. And you and I are those movies as we live out the commands that he's given to us. And though our lives oftentimes no more perfectly portray the original than the directors of our favorite books do, we still give a picture. And we don't follow godly examples because they're perfect, and we don't serve as an example because we're perfect. We follow and we serve as an example because godly examples ultimately follow Jesus. And we're ultimately pointing people to Jesus and not ourselves. So as we seek to mature our faith, follow faithful Christians and be a faithful Christian whom others might follow. Lastly, as you think about maturing your faith, as we consider Paul's thoughts here, lastly, in hope, live in light of your heavenly citizenship. In verse 20, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this concept of citizenship was very pertinent to the Philippian believers because Philippi was a Roman colony. It would have been known as Little Rome. When anyone visited Philippi, there would have been constant visual reminders everywhere of Rome. Citizens of Philippi enjoyed all the benefits of being a colony of Rome. And because Rome was so powerful, these Philippian believers would have been very proud of their earthly citizenship. Just like many of us who are American citizens are very proud of our citizenship. And those of you who have citizenship in another country, I know that you're very proud of your citizenship. But Paul calls their attention to a greater citizenship, a more ultimate citizenship, their eternal citizenship. He doesn't discourage them from being Roman citizens. Instead, he shows them what's ultimate. In other words, they were to weigh their earthly citizenship against their eternal citizenship. And just as there would have been many behaviors and mindsets that were simply fitting for being a Roman colony, there was a distinct disposition and lifestyle fitting to being called a disciple of Jesus. So, Philippi may have been little Rome, but as Christ followers, you and I, our lives should be little heavens. We're reminded here in the text that this world is not ultimately our home, and that mindset needs to permeate our daily encounters with a watching world. 
our ultimate citizenship is in heaven with Jesus. So day by day, no matter what happens, either good or bad, live in light of that reality. C.S. Lewis famously said in Mere Christianity, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. And Paul shows us this in two distinct ways. Very quickly, he shows us one, one day we will be with Jesus. That's our hope. That this race that we're running This relationship that we're striving towards and pressing on towards and persevering with. One day we will be with Jesus. We will see him face to face. Verse 20 says that. He says that we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's hope in that. But there's also hope in verse 21 because not only one day we will be with Jesus, one day we will also be like Jesus. Jesus. I would even say it, we will be just like Jesus. In verse 21, he says, Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The apostle John in 1 John 3 says it this way, we don't know what we will be like, but we know that when he appears, We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So you see, brothers and sisters, that which we are pursuing, one day we will see and experience in full measure. Here we only experience it partially, but one day we will experience it fully. I want to close with This simple illustration, perhaps you're familiar with the movie Chariots of Fire. It's a little old and dated, but it's a really good movie, and it's based on true events. It's about two runners in the 1924 Olympics, one being Eric Liddell. He was a Christian, and Liddell famously said, I believe that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Well, Paul too felt the pleasure of running for the prize and he's commending this way of life for you and for me. Eric Liddell would later serve as a missionary running for something greater than a gold medal. And as you and I run for the prize of knowing Jesus, I pray that we feel God's pleasure too. So brothers and sisters, let's fix our eyes on Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith, who himself ran for the joy that was set before him. So this morning, if you want to mature your faith, I want you to think about those six mindset shifts, those six dispositions or practices we've talked about today. In humility, acknowledge you're not there yet. In confidence, stop dwelling on the past. Through perseverance, grow in knowing Jesus more and more. As a reminder, preach the gospel to yourself and through imitation, follow the godly example of faithful Christians and in hope, live in light of your heavenly citizenship because one day we will be with Jesus 
and we will be just like Jesus. This is how you mature in knowing Jesus, your Lord. Father, thank you for your scriptures this morning. Thank you for preserving them for us. Thank you for the instruction. And thank you for your patient grace with us. That though we trip, though we fall, though we are so tempted to constantly look behind us, you continue to pursue and you continue to draw us so that we might respond to continue to draw towards you and pursue you. And Father, I simply pray this prayer this morning over my brothers and sisters who are in this room and every person watching via live stream today. Father, in the coming days, in the coming weeks, in months, and this year, would you mature each of us as you see fit in direct proportion to where we are right now? And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.